Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, happy Valentine's Day to you. And I say to every one of you guys, because you know what? You're a Valentine. Did you know that? Somebody says you're a Valentine to them, and I bet you know who that is. That's what I love about this day. You know, it really reminds us of the great love that God has for us. That Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, when he came here, he was declaring to us to uh, be mine. He was telling us he wants you to be his. And, you know, by faith, many of you guys in this room today have said, I'm yours, Lord. And you've given your life to him. And, and so this day is a great reminder to us about what Jesus did. Not only, you know, there's a secular holiday, and of course we want to give affection to our loved ones and whatnot, but, but also, you know, there is that constant reminder of the love of God, how much he loves us, and how much he has done for us. And, and this morning, as I was thinking about that, and just, you know, this is the holiday of love, I was thinking, no greater love is this than one that would lay down his life for his friends, Jesus Christ. And so he says to you this morning, happy Valentine's Day, I love you. I love you. Luke chapter 11, stand with me if you would please. We're going to uh, read this incredible teaching this morning on prayer. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And when he said to them, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because, of, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We ask, Lord, that You would help us, that You would teach us this morning how to pray, that You would teach us to pray, Lord, that You would help us in some way, shape, or form to grow this morning from what Your Word would tell us. We ask Your Spirit would come and teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So on Thursday nights, we have youth group, and, and we've been, LaDonna's been helping, and as we've been doing that, she's been leading the children, and the children, <laughs> they would slap me if they heard me say that, but the, the kids, the, the teenagers, the, the, the young adults, how about that? Um, those guys, they, we would ask them, you know, before we start worship, 
if there's anything they can pray about. What, what can we pray for you about? And then as a group, we begin to pray for each individual need in the church, uh, in, the, in the youth group there. And it seemed that there was a recurring prayer request this last week. It was a prayer request regarding school. Now, you know, the kids were asking, help me with my algebra, my geometry, my math, my, my, you know, science, whatever. I need help. I'm failing these classes. And uh, we believe that God can help. And so we prayed to that end, Lord, give these children the diligence to study, but also the understanding, the, the wisdom and the, the remembrance to remember these things as they, um, as they go to school. But I was thinking about the idea of school, and that brought back some ill feelings for me because I hated school um, as a kid, not, not because I wasn't any good at it, although there was that. But, you know, um, then there was the idea that also um, I wasn't super interested in it. What I found was that the things that I am interested in, however, that I was able to do a lot better at. You know, but those things that I wasn't super interested in, I, I just, I, it was hard for me to learn. Um, what made the difference for me, though, was a teacher. Good teachers make the difference when it comes to a student like myself who really didn't care to be there. But yet, if you could get my interest up, then I could learn, and then I would have some desire to know. Teachers matter. It reminds me of the story when this, this, this teacher, first, first year teacher, came to her first day in school and she thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the couple credits of psychology I have uh, from college on my students uh, this, this first day and I want to understand them a little bit. And so she came and she took her position at the head of the class there and she said, hello children, my name is Mrs. Applegate and I'm your teacher this year, and I'd like for everyone who thinks that they're stupid to stand up. After a few seconds, a little boy named Johnny stood up, and the teacher said, Oh, Johnny, do you think you're stupid? And Johnny replied to her, No, ma'am, but I hate to see you standing there all by yourself. So, you know, and listen, teachers make all the difference in the world. I, I wished I would have known that one at school, you know. I, I, I'd have reversed it on the teacher. But I would have been sitting, no. But anyway, teachers do make the difference in the world. Unfortunately, we have a great teacher in our Lord Jesus Christ in the Word. We have an incredible teacher that knows how to stir up desire in our heart for us to understand. He, he knows how to teach us. And this morning, he's going to take us to school, to the school of prayer. That's the title of my message. And by the looks of it, many of you guys haven't been to school in many years. But listen, I promise you, it'll come back real quick. Jesus wants to teach us to pray. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer, doesn't it? And in fact, as I started to approach the subject of prayer, studying, I was like, Lord, how do I fit, you know, 40 minutes into, you know, uh, uh, on prayer in this one thing? And, and the Lord said, don't worry, they'll, they'll stay for hours, so just keep preaching. You know? But no, I, I actually, he, he told me, you know, keep it simple. Teach like Jesus. Let Jesus teach. And Jesus teaches us here how to pray at the request of this unnamed disciple. Now, what we have to understand is that it's not that they're not praying, but there's something about the way Jesus prayed that stirred up something in this disciple to say, teach us to pray that way too. Not how to pray, but teach us to pray the way that you pray, Jesus. I want to pray like you so teach us now you might recall that you've heard 
this over this 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 section of scripture we went over in Matthew chapter 6 and you might say hey didn't we already do this yes but this isn't the same instance don't don't uh, there are times in the gospel where they, the gospel writers repeat themselves but in this case this is a completely different in, um, uh, account that happened here and it's a different disciple the, the sermon on the mount happened with the 12 this is probably the 72 plus the 12 plus many other people and one of his disciples made a connection about Jesus something about Jesus in ministry has to do with prayer. Something about the way that God works through Jesus happens through his prayer. I hear him pray and then I see his acts. There's a connection. Now understand, Luke, the writer, thinks there's a connection too. In fact, Luke, his gospel, he writes more about prayer than any other gospel writer. He captures the prayer life of Jesus and there's a reason for that. Because Luke understands that Jesus and his ministry was bathed in prayer. And there is, that's where Jesus' uh, intimacy with his father came, but also that's where the power of God came through his life, through prayer. Of course, through the, through the agent of the Holy Spirit in our lives, yes, but through prayer. When Jesus would center himself Upon the will of God. And you would say, well, what do you mean Jesus center himself upon the will of God? He is God. Yes, he is God. But when he came, you understand he became a human being. Jesus Christ took on flesh. He became human. And he needed to pray just like you needed to pray. Did you know? We see this clearly. That Jesus brought his needs before the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was aligning himself with the will of God. Father, if there's any other way that this cup can pass from me. He's asking a question. Is there another way, Father? But if not, your will be done. Jesus said, I'm going to get centered before the most difficult thing in my life happens. I'm going to get centered upon the will of God. If Jesus Christ felt the need to do that, how much more do we? How much more should we be concerned about prayer in our lives? Now, I can confess today that man, I, I wish I prayed more. And in fact, the stirring up of this passage, in my, just a simple stirring up of, man, Lord, I want to be taught to pray as well. And Jesus would say, oh, good, because I love to teach, and I'm a good teacher, and I'm glad you're interested. Now I can capture your heart. Now I can teach you how to do one of the most important things on this earth that you can do, and that is communicate with God and center yourself upon Him. That's what Jesus would tell us. I've broken this, this down. I've outlined it in four different parts. First, the plea of the disciple, the pattern to follow, the persistence required, and the principle to remember. We began with the plea of the disciple. We look there. Now, verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus was praying. That was a common theme of Jesus' ministry. If you read the uh, different gospel accounts, you'll find Jesus departing to a desolate place, it would say. Sometimes it was the morning, sometimes it was the evening, sometimes it was the noontime. Jesus made prayer a priority in his life. I think that the disciples, as they gathered together, and they would be at a place, a certain place with Jesus, 
that, that, that all of a sudden Jesus would just disappear. Not, not like as in, you know, vanish, but as in just wander off. And, and, and it would be a, probably a common question amongst the disciples. Hey, where's Jesus? Hey, Peter, you seen Jesus? Oh, you know where he's at. Come on. He's praying again. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Jesus is always praying. Jesus prayed. It, it goes without saying that Jesus was a man of prayer, right? That's to state the obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated. I think that we overlook the simplicity of Jesus' walk with his Father on earth through prayer. I, I, I would submit to you that I think that is the closest Jesus could get to his Father on earth is when he would, he would get away to a desolate place and he would just communicate, that he would just pray to the Father. He would commune with the Father. You remember that he left heaven and came to earth that he took on flesh, he departed, he, he, that somehow his, his God, you know, his Godhead was concealed in some way, shape, or form, and he became a man. And he needed that communion with the Father. And he understood that, and that's why he spent much time in prayer. One of these disciples sees Jesus, and he pleads with him, Jesus, will you teach us to pray to again they made a connection they understood that 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 Jesus there was something different about his prayer life in the Jewish culture in that day that was a praying culture to say hey show me how to pray would be the wrong question they were praying it wasn't that they weren't praying or they didn't know how it's that they wanted to do it the way Jesus did it in Judaish culture even today they pray three times a day and they pray a canned prayer. It's called the 18 benedictions. And they would, you would go to the Wailing Wall today and you'll find books uh, in the, uh, up and against the Wailing Wall and, these, and the, the, the Jews will come in and they'll grab the book and, they'll, and some of it's, sometimes they're reading different you know, uh, writings of different rabbis or whatnot, but there are also books of prayer. And they would grab those books and they would read and they would just begin to pray the prayer as, the, as they were reading it through. They wouldn't necessarily pray on their own. They would pray very religiously three times a day. That came all the way back from many people link it to Daniel, but it was before that. In fact, the Jewish people prayed because Abraham prayed in the morning, they saw. You know, um, Isaac prayed at noontime, and Jacob prayed at night. And so three times a day they would pray. And then David and Daniel, they adopted that into their lives, praying three times a day. Not out of duty, but out of devotion. But it would be Ezra who would say, let's instill this practice of prayer and three times a day, and this is the prayer we're going to use and whatnot. I, I don't have time to read the prayer, the 18th benediction that they would pray, but it is, an, it is, is a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. Google it and read it. Jesus, we know how to pray, but teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way you pray. There was a desire in his heart to know. R.H. Lenski, a commentator, said, the feeling of need in that regard was stirred in him by the way in which he saw Jesus himself offer prayer. Jesus, too, is pleased to have such requests made, which are themselves excellent prayers. He sometimes waits until such desires, listen, arise in our hearts for any for, for any desire such as this will cause us to accept his instruction more eagerly. 
Do you reconcile what he's saying there? If there's a desire in, for you to know, you're going to receive it more earnestly. You're going to be more hungry to listen and you're going to be more intent to apply to your life. So sometimes God waits and says, when the desire is in you, I, that's my will for you to put that desire in you, but you have to submit to that will and that desire has to be birthed out in your life and when I see that, then I move. But not until then. That's why the Bible says, seek me and you'll find me. There's a desire in your heart he, he put there, but it has to be on earth and as it is, and you begin to seek him, then he says, okay, now the heart is in position and you're ready to learn. Let me teach you. The request came, teach us like John taught his disciples. Now, apparently John was a praying man. John was a praying man and it was common knowledge in this day and age that John prayed and John taught his disciples the prayer, that prayer was important to John as well. Do you see the link? Prayer is important in ministry. John the Baptist would be the one to pave the way to Jesus Christ. He would be the one that would, would be the voice crying out in the wilderness and it would be through prayer that John would accomplish his ministry and that he would teach his disciples to pray. Jesus, we, 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 we have the connection. Here's the plea. Next we find Jesus say, well, here's the pattern. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Like, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Luke's account of the model prayer is a shorter version of found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I believe Jesus did this on purpose. Teach us to pray, Jesus. And Jesus would say, okay, I'm not going to teach you the way the culture prays. I'm not going to give you canned prayer. I'm not going to say, here, just repeat these words and pray and you'll be good. That's why I believe Jesus said it differently here. It's a different account. They, some of the same people are there. But Jesus says, this is the pattern to pray. That you take it and you make it in your own words. Here's how I would tell you how to pray. He would say, when you pray, say, Father. We start with an intimate addressing of God as our Father. This comes to help us reconcile the idea that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we are now sons and daughters, that He is our Father and we are His children. Not everybody can call Him Father. But Jesus would say, you who believe by faith in Him, you call Him Father. It's an intimate way to address God and it is the entire basis for prayer, relationship. He is our Father. We have no re if we have no relationship with God, we have no basis for prayer. Do you understand? There's no point in, 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 in praying if you don't have a relationship with God. Although I would tell you as an unbeliever that I did pray. And I did watch God answer certain prayers. But I would always chuck it up to coincidence. That's the problem. Is that we wouldn't know. God doesn't say, hey, unless you're a believer, you can't pray to me. Well, then you would say, how do I pray to you to become a believer? That's not what, is, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there is a relationship established that, that gives you a basis for a prayer life. Many, many people try to approach God outside of Jesus Christ. 
as if they had this one-on-one relationship with God. And the Bible would tell us, you don't. You don't have a one-on-one relationship with God without His Son. Because Jesus Christ said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. We need Jesus. Jesus, in relationship with Him, becomes the basis for our prayer. That we can call Him Father. If we don't do that, Jesus said, we we don't have any basis to pray. To call God Father is to say that I'm in relationship with Him through His Son. Now, the Old Testament Scriptures would call God Father rarely, but it does. There are times where the Jews would use that word, but they wouldn't use it in an intimate way like we would use the word Father. And they wouldn't use it often. They would be very, very careful to use that word. But they would use it as a positional word. Your father is a position. You're the head. I'm simply part of what you're doing. But not as a relational word. So Jesus teaches them right now, the very beginning of prayer begins with relationship. Okay, so that's important. Now, the, the Jehovah Witnesses would make a big deal out of what Jesus is saying here. They would say, oh, no, we can't address him by Father. We have to address him by his name, Jehovah. That is his name. And we, we, we can call him that, but Jesus. I, I, I personally would, would um, rather take the word of Jesus Christ over Charles Taz Russell any day. I don't know about you, but for me, I think I'll, I'll stick with what Jesus said. And he said, call him Father because it's about relationship. right? But with that said, th- this is where Christians can err. We can become so intimate with God that we forget about his holy name. And that's what Jesus also says. Don't forget about who he is. Look at the next thing he tells us. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Christians, you are in intimate relationship, but don't you dare forget. Holy is his name. His name is holy. Now, in this culture, the name of a person would not... would 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 mean more than it means to us today. You know, we, when we're going to have a baby, we're going to look through a book and we're going to, oh, what does that name mean? Oh, that's cool. You know, well, what, what, I think uh, Silas means wooded or something. I don't know what we were thinking, but it doesn't, it doesn't really mean much to us today. But in this culture, it did mean something. When they called you by your name, Petros, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And he, Jesus would call him a little stone. You know, and the idea is that the name in this culture meant something. To, for, for God's name to be presented here, it's to speak of His character. Holy is His name. Don't forget that He is a holy God. Henry Morris said, the, the name in antiquity stood for far more than it does with us. It summed up a person's whole character, all that was known or revealed about Him in His name. It's telling us that God is, is holy. Literally, he is set apart above anything and everything else that we know and we could should consider him such. It really kind of aligns our prayer, doesn't it? It helps us to understand who we're coming before. We're coming before Father, our holy Jehovah. That's who we're coming before. Now, understanding that I have an intimate relationship with God and I understand that he is set apart and he is a bigger and above anything in my life now 
I am positioned to pray. Now I understand the character of God, and now I can, I can feel comfortable by faith bringing him anything because he is my Father, and he is God. He is holy. He is set apart, and there's nothing that limits him. We should be careful. I would want to note here also that Jesus is also telling us to revere his name. To not use his name in vain. You know, and I think in this culture, in our day, we, we use things like OMG. You know, God knows what that means. You don't think he sees on your Facebook OMG and he's like, do they mean gosh or God? I'm not sure. But he knows. He knows. I would say, hey, err on the side of caution and don't use those kind of terms. Holy is his name. Jesus said, listen, to say, to say like, you know, for Christ's sake, Jesus, OMG, those kind of things, you know what we're doing? Reducing and defaming him. Because it's not just about his name, it's about his character. It would be like somebody using your name. How would you like them to say, for Tim's sake, you know? Oh, for Pete's sake, I guess they do. Hey, you know, who, who knew? For Pete's sake, you know, he, 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 he's on the same wavelength as Jesus. Why are you using my name, man? Listen, be careful of how you use his name. His name is holy. Jesus would tell us. Second, or thirdly, he tells us to pray for your kingdom to come. The rest of that verse, maybe if you have the King, uh, New King James Version, your version would say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It would continue that. But, but in, the, in the earliest manuscripts, that verse is not... Those words don't occur. And so the ESV version, because it uses the critical text to translate the Bible, leaves that portion out, which is appropriate. It probably wasn't there. Somebody probably, a scribe, added it later on down the road into some manuscripts because that's the point of what Jesus is saying. Your kingdom come. It's about his kingdom. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about us living for ourselves today, but it's about us furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about His kingdom. It's about what He desires to do. It's about His will. In order for you to pray, your kingdom come, you have to be submissive to His will, don't you? Because if His kingdom is going to come, and He has a plan for His kingdom to come, we need to be submissive to whatever that plan is. And so Jesus says, get yourself aligned with the will of God that you would be kingdom-minded, that you would be all about the kingdom of God, of God and you wouldn't get caught up in the world, that you would lay aside all of this stuff that's pulling you down and you would be kingdom-minded. You would be remembering to pray for those things that are kingdom things. Your brothers and sisters, your church, your, the missionaries that we support, the missionaries that you know of, the, the church globally, all of that you would be praying for his kingdom to come. Chuck Smith said, prayer was never intended to be an instrument for the accomplishment of man's will upon the earth, but an instrument for the accomplishment of God's will upon the earth. Your kingdom come, Father. Pray that earnestly. And I can't wait for his kingdom to come. It is coming. It is here in us, but it is coming Jesus is coming back very soon. But it's in his timing and it's according to his will. And we're just submissive to that. Give us each day our daily bread. Jesus, who is the bread of heaven, our sustenance tells us to pray for our daily provisions, not our monthly bread, 
not our yearly bread, but our daily bread. God wants to have a relationship with you in such a way that you're dependent upon Him daily. It's the idea of manna in the wilderness. I'm only going to provide you the manna for the day and then I'm going to need you to go back and trust me and go out in the morning and know that it'll be there again. Give us each day our daily bread. When I started my business back in 2000, I used to pray every day to this end. My daily bread, Lord, that's all I want. I used to pray Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9 that says, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And I used to pray that every day, not as a canned prayer, but as a heartfelt prayer, God, give me my daily bread. You know I have bills to pay. You know I'm coming to you by faith and I'm believing that you're going to meet my needs today and I'm just asking you to do that. Pray for your daily bread. It's not wrong for you to pray for yourself. Jesus told you to. They don't get when people say, yeah, I never pray for myself. I'm like, man, sucks to be you. I'll pray for you, I guess. I better get a bunch of people praying for you because I don't know what your daily needs are. You do. You could go specifically to God and ask for them. Jesus taught, taught us to do that. Pray for your daily needs, not for the Lamborghini. This is where the word faith movement is way, way out of line, completely out of line. It's erroneous teaching to pray for what you want, just anything you want. No, no. God, I know what you well, I know what you know that what I need, and so I'm going to pray for that, to that end. Lord, whatever you know that I need, I pray that you would meet my needs. If anything else is of me, then get it out of the way. George Mueller. This is a man who understood to pray for his daily bread. He, was an, he started some orphanages, and at one point he had an orphanage. He would walk around the streets and see these poor kids with no parents, nothing to eat, just on the streets, and he just began taking them in and starting to um, you know, feed them, and he started this orphanage. And one time uh, in his biography, it said the children, uh, his, his, the house mother came and said, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. Mueller asked her to take 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow, I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you all, bring it in. That he would just say, Lord, you know my needs, before I even ask them. But I'm asking by faith that you will provide. And what happens? God provides. It's for your sake, not for his he wants you to see him work. And when you come asking by faith and he works, then he says, oh, watch this. I'm building their faith. I'm building their trust in me that they can trust me with the simplicities of life to the very intricate things of cancer, of disease, of anything like that. You can trust me, God would say. That song, Awaken, Awake Our Soul, was written by a worship leader out in California, Tim Timmons who was in his oncology office with his doctor. And she said, he said, 
you know, as they were discussing his cancer, and then, then they, they, uh, she asked him, he asked her, how are things going? How are people doing? And he said, she said these words, a lot of people are praying hard, but not many are surrendered. And that's where he came up with the song. A lot of people are praying. Not a, people are, not a lot of people are surrendered to him in their prayer. Jesus would say, be surrendered in your prayer of your daily needs. He'll provide for you. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins, and for we, forgive, for our, we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus is like, now let's just get down to the nitty-gritty of, of the entire purpose of the gospel. Forgiveness. Let's talk forgiveness. Now he's teaching believers to pray. And he's telling believers you need to pray for forgiveness. But I thought we were forgiven. Positionally you're forgiven. You are forgiven. But, but there is that constant as sin comes in your life that you need to go to God and you need to get right with him and you need to turn that over to him. It's called repentance. And, and we, we should do that over and over again as God continues to refine us and he makes us more like Jesus. But Jesus said, pray this way. He never said, by the way, oh, there'll be a point in time in your life where you won't have to pray that, so don't worry about it. Just pray it until you stop sinning, and then when you stop sinning, you're good. There is no sinless perfection on this, in, on this earth. There's constant refinement, and there's us. God is making us like his son more and more every day. And we just come to him, we ask for forgiveness, and we receive his forgiveness. That's what Jesus would tell us. And not only us, but you, but you would ask God to help you forgive those who have sinned against you, who have wronged you in some way. Oh man, I, I can go to God all day long and ask for forgiveness for myself, but man, to ask God to help me forgive that person for what they did, man, I don't know if I can do that. That is sin. That is sin to, to withhold forgiveness. And Jesus would say, you need to pray first, repent of that sin and then ask God to give you the ability. I, hey, there are difficult things in life that happen to people. There are really tragic things that happen and there's really difficult, um, God, sometimes we get in difficult situations, but that doesn't forsake the, the, the calling of us to be forgiving people because we serve a forgiving God and if he's gonna forgive us, we have to represent him in the same way that we would forgive people. And I know that's hard at times. That's why Jesus said pray. He's saying, get your heart centered on me. I'll help you to see that person who's stuck in their sin and that they're just completely paralyzed and they can't change or they're stuck and they won't change, but I'm going to give you a love for them. And as you would pray, Jesus said pray for your enemies. Why? Again, that your heart would be turned towards them and you would have compassion for them. Jesus would tell us to pray for our enemies. And listen, if there's people in your life today that, you, that you're unforgiving towards, then, then I would tell you this morning that you need to go to him this morning. Again, we know this stuff. If you've, been, you know, if you've read the word at all, you know this prayer. But it's conveniently sometimes we leave out these simple things like, hey, forgive those who sinned against you, who are indebted, same idea. We just purposely leave those things out. That's why we go through the, through the Word of God verse by verse. And we cover these things because they're important. And we, we sometimes intentionally forget things and sometimes we just forget things. Lead us not into temptation. Now, 
many, many of us have no idea what Jesus is talking about. What does he mean? Lead us not into temptation. Does God tempt us? The answer to the question is no. James chapter uh, 1, verses 13 through 15, he tells us that when you're tempted, that, that God can, himself cannot be tempted, and he tempts no one, okay? So God can't tempt us. And, and, and so we're not praying that God would not lead us into temptation as if he would if we didn't pray that, right? It's got to be something else. So people will take this passage and they'll go, well, I mean, the word tempting here means testing. So uh, what it's saying is God lead us not into testing. Well, now I've got another problem because James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 tell me that it's through the testing of my faith that, that God produces that Christ-like character in me. What is he saying? What does this mean? Lead me not into temptation. I believe fully that what this is talking about is a petition to God to lead. Simple as that. God, lead me. Because you know I'm going to be tempted. You know that there's going to be things that are going to come into my life, and I'm asking you to lead me. I'm submitting to you even now, God. Lead me. And when that temptation comes, Lord, if you're leading me, I will not be led into temptation. It's a pre prayer before temptation comes that you're going to let God lead you. That's what it's about. It's submission to him saying, Lord, temptations are going to come and I know this, but I'm preparing myself now. When that temptation comes, God, keep me from falling into it. Lead me not into temptation. That's what I believe it's saying. Jesus would say, lead me, Lord. Now, now, as Jesus goes on, we find the plea for prayer, the plea by the disciple, the, the pattern for prayer. Next, the persistence required. Um, look at verse 5 here. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go, um, go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And he tells this story about this guy who's in his bedroom. And in this culture, this guy would lay down his bed. He'd put all, they'd have a fire in the center of the room. And their kids would all, and their family would be all tucked up into the fire. They would bring their, their animals in at night, and they would be laying around them. And so for someone to come knock on your door at 2 in the morning and say, hey, I need some bread, um, is like, you know, seriously, that's a, great, that's a huge ruckus you're going to cause to be able to, that doors are locked down. It's going to be difficult for me to get to it. And um, Jesus says, but, but in this culture, that's what would happen. You couldn't run to the 24-hour Kroger, right? and go get bread. I mean, if some journey, some person journeyed to your house, they would come and they'd be hungry and they would need something to eat. This is a very practical example that Jesus would give. But understand, God is not the person in the house. The, Jesus is contrasting this. Does any of you have a friend like this that would do such a thing? None of your friends would do such a thing because they understand it. Then I submit to you that God himself would not do that to you. When you come to him and you pray that he wouldn't say, oh, uh, come back another day. I'm, my family's down and like he's not listening to you or he's too busy with the things that he's caught up to. That's not, Jesus is saying this is a contrasting illustration that he's saying, but there's a point in it. The point is to be persistent in coming to the Father. To continually come to the Father. Jesus would go on to say, ask and it will be given to you. Knock, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And, and it's a perpetual word, that continual word that means keep on asking, keep on uh, seeking, keep on knocking. That's what he's saying here. He's telling us to be persistent in prayer, to not stop praying, keep praying. Not, he already told us not in vain repetition like the Gentiles do. Don't continue to 
um, just say words, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, I'm praying to you, Jesus, 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 don't do that. Don't continue to use vain, repetitious words that make you feel, make you seem righteous or whatever. Don't do that. God sees the heart. But to pray for your family members that are lost, that would be the will of God. And that is not repetitious prayer, prayer to God. To pray for a struggle in your life that you continue to, 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 to struggle with or whatever and you keep continue to fall in, that, you, that would be a prayer that is not repetitious to God because it, when it's centered on His will, He's saying keep praying, keep asking, keep knocking. But if He tells you no, you've got to know when to stop. Jesus knew when to stop three times. Check this out. Three times Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. But if not, your will be done, right? Three times. Who else prayed three times? The Apostle Paul, three, three times that, that thorn in the flesh would be taken from him. It was not. There comes a point in time in your prayer with God that you hear the words, no. And understand that both of those accounts where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Paul was talking about his thorn in the flesh. Both of these things are speaking in regard to what? Suffering. And God would say no. Well, what do you mean, God? Why wouldn't you deliver me from suffering? Well, because in these cases, suffering in one way makes me more like Jesus, Paul. Keeps me humble. In Jesus' case, it accomplishes the will of God. When it comes to the will of God, sometimes... Sometimes the, the loudest voice that we have, the greatest vessel that we can be is in the midst of our suffering. Jesus' loudest voice wasn't on the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't when he was, you know, um, you know calling to the, out to the people in the, in the temple. You know, I'm the light of the world. It wasn't in any of those moments. It was when he was hanging on the cross. That was his loudest voice. And I would say, do you trust God enough to say, God, even in my suffering, I'm going to trust you and let you use me. And I'm going to allow you to shape me and refine me in those moments. That point is to be persistent in prayer with the Father and to just continue to submit yourself to Him, but to know that there comes a point in time where His will, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Finally, the principle to remember, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, we ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Listen, Jesus is saying it's ridiculous for you to ask for your father to give you one thing and he give you the exact opposite. Something that would harm you, right? I want an egg, he gives you a scorpion, that could harm you. You know, he's, he's not going to do that. I want a fish, but he's going to give you a snake. What father would do that? Ha ha ha. There probably are some earthly fathers because Jesus tells us right here, for you who are evil, He's calling every father on earth evil. And he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God's a good father, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. And one of the best gifts that he can give us in his life is the gift that keeps on giving, the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you might say, well, I already have the Holy Spirit. I already have the Holy Spirit in me. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. You have the Holy Spirit. But when you come to God and you say, God, I need the Holy Spirit, what you're asking for is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because what are the fruits of the Spirit? 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you go to God and you say, God, I need to love people more, what are you really asking him? I need your Holy Spirit. When you're coming to God and you say, God, I'm so depressed, why don't I have joy? God is saying, you're saying to God, I need the Holy Spirit. When you're saying to God, God, I can't, I don't understand why I keep doing these things. I keep falling into the same trap over and over again. You're asking God for the Holy Spirit that the fruit of self-control would be manifest in your life. Uh, if you go to the Father and you bring your legitimate issues before Him, He's not going to give you something that is unbeneficial for you. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sideline. But I think the reason Jesus said this not only was because we need the Holy Spirit, but because the disciples from the very beginning saw a connection with the ministry of Jesus and prayer in his life, and Jesus would make the connection that you need the Spirit of God. And they don't have the Spirit of God in them yet. And he's going to tell them when, I, when he descends, after he leaves the earth, that, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them and that they should go and tarry in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus right now is, is telling them, you want to understand my ministry and the way that I work. It's through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need to understand. You, you, yes, it's in prayer. My ministry has been accomplished much through prayer, but also through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and I need that power today. And if we ask God for the Holy Spirit this morning in our lives and whatever whatever fruit that you're missing in your life today, whatever need that you have, if you come to him, he will by no means say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. He's going to give you that because he knows it's good for you. But God only gives us what's good for us. That's the principle. And sometimes his answer to us is no because it's not good for us. God, help me to get in this relationship with this person. No, it's not good for you. God, help me to, um, to, get this, you know, to, to get this house and to get this raise so that I can get the, more of these things. No, it's not good for you. That's the underlying principle that Jesus is laying here, is that the Father only gives us what is good for us. So as we close today, I want to encourage you, as you go about your week, that you would pray to God in this manner, as Jesus taught us to pray, that we would come before him and we would say, Lord, you're my Father, you are holy, and I'm coming before you. I'm centering myself on you. I want your kingdom to, be, to come, Lord, I want you to be manifest in this world through my life today. May, your, may I be about your kingdom. Help me, Lord, to, to follow through this pattern of prayer that he's given us. You know, lead us not into temptation. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to forgive those who have forgiven us. Give us our daily bread, Lord. And pray the pattern of this prayer. I did that backwards, not on purpose, but the point is you don't have to do it in order either. This is your words to him, your opportunity to pray to him. And Jesus is just saying, pray that way to the end that you would ask a good father and he would give you a good gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for your word and just for, Lord, meeting us where we are this morning. You are a good father. You give good gifts to your children. And this morning for us in this place, Lord, you know where each one of us are. You know our hearts. You know our struggles. You know the intimacy of us, Lord. We pray, God, that you would help us to submit to you in whatever way 
shape, or form we need to. If life has overtaken us, Lord, and we are so caught up in life that we forgot about your kingdom, Lord, forgive us. Father, help us this morning to just submit our request before you. And we do ask that you would meet us where we are, that you would give us the Holy Spirit this morning. That you would cause the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in our lives in such a way that it would meet our need this morning. Lord, we open the altar this morning and we ask that you would just help people to come down to do business before the altar, before you this morning. There's things they need to just come and confess to you or just to, Lord, maybe there's other people in there on, on their hearts they want to just bring before you to cast their cares upon you because you care for us. And so there'll be leadership people down here at the front to, to pray with you if you want to pray. And if, if you don't know Jesus this morning and, and you need a relationship with him, you come this morning. Come down and you pray. John or somebody will lead you in a prayer. Some One of the leadership will come and pray with you. Father, we thank you. We ask that you would just bless the rest of our time now and you would just move by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up. Oh, see? That's what I have him here for. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love. In the dead of night you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am who I am. Oh, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide because you know just what we need before we Say a word, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You 
are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Love so undeniable, I, I can hardly speak peace. So unexplainable, I, I can hardly think as you tell me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still into love, love, love. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am, your good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, and we ask that you would just help us to remember what a great God you are to us every day of our lives, Lord, and as we're in need, that we would just come before you, Lord, that we would confess our need, and that you would just take us from this place, Lord, and use us mightily for your name's sake, God, as we just tell the world that you're a good, good Father. Father, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. God bless you. Happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.